Okay. <laughs> Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We're on season five, episode 22, Painless. You know, I've heard a lot of people saying unaliving, and I don't know if the terms have changed. Oh, yeah. From suicide. I thought about that too. And I don't know, I don't know if they say unaliving because you're not allowed to say suicide on like social media. Is that a thing? Yeah. TikTok monitors that stuff especially hard. I mean, probably other things, but that's where I've heard that used the most. I've heard them change committing suicide to death by suicide because committing is like... I don't know a whole lot about the language around it and how it's evolved or changed or anything. Okay, these changes have been done to reduce the stigma that suicide can cause. We strongly urge that if you're helping others and involved in suicide prevention to use the below suicide language. The words commit and committed may imply that an act is criminal or may be looked Mm. at as a mortal sin in many religions. Mm. The use of the word completed can imply that an act has been accomplished or successful, often sending the message that suicide is a task to be accomplished. The litmus test for talking about suicide is to substitute the word cancer for the word suicide to see if the sentence still makes sense or if it has a negative connotation. We wouldn't say committed cancer or successful cancer. We would simply say cancer death or died of cancer. Thus, when it comes to suicide, we should say suicide death or died of suicide. Okay. We don't say successful or unsuccessful. We just use died by suicide um, or suicide attempt for someone who has attempted. Yeah. And this is all on suicidepreventionalliance.org. Okay. This is the first episode upon Tasha's arrival from Hawaii. Ah, yes. We are are recording an episode that we were supposed to record last week. I'm working on the editing of that friendship boat right now. That's going to come out the same day this comes out. But I talk about the trip a little bit and how Gabe tried to be a good friend and I was a bitch about it. (laughs) I'm like, I want you to take care of yourself. And you're like, fuck you, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm scared for you. So (laughs) what are your motives? (laughs) All right. So the opening scene, there are these two maids and they go into an apartment and they're not scheduled to clean until later in the day. Mm -hmm. One's like really wants to clean early so they can clock out. And the other is a little concerned about it. She's like, what if she comes home? Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, she won't. Yeah. One of these actors is Tina from The Bear. Like, both of them go on to have Dece careers, and Mm. um, one of them is Tina from the first season of The Bear. Did you watch the second season of that yet? No. Have you watched the first season? I'm behind on... Yeah. Oh, I started it yesterday, and I just finished it last night. Is she the one that hid the knife from him in the first... I don't remember. I don't remember. I just like I just looked at her IMDb and was like, oh, The Bear. I gotta watch that second season. Yeah, so she was on that. Keep going. Okay, so I kind of love this shit that SVU does, like these subtle little things that you can relate to in your own relationships or like other characters and stuff. Uh So like the rule breaker woman, the one who's like, I want to clean early so we can get out. Mm -hmm. She goes into the bathroom and is like, ew, gross. (laughs) And the other chick is cleaning up two wine glasses in the kitchen. The girl that checked the bathroom goes to check the bedroom and screams, oh my God, she's dead and is losing it. The woman who lives there is dead on the bed. Her head is covered in a plastic bag and her hands are cuffed to the headboard so the gal that doesn't follow the rules wants to get done early and is risky and we love that but when she finds the body she fucking loses it and screams and screams then the other one that was worried about getting in trouble immediately kicks into gear and is like call 911 call 911 mm-hmm. and then goes to check on the victim and rips the bag open immediately they will like in SVU these little subtle things they will always show like the juxtaposition between people who know each other well like Benson Stabler mm-hmm. and I love that yeah 
you know? Yeah, yeah, because these two, like, it's clear that they know each other going into the apartment. She's like, I want to get out early. She's like, "Mm, I don't know. And the one that, like, has the riskier behavior always in this doesn't know what to do right away. And the other one's like, call 911. Which one one are you and which one am I? I have this. Okay, you do? Ah! (laughs) Yeah, Tasha, you are the one chick, like, the serious situations you process later in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, when serious things happen, you are go, go, go. Yeah. And then later you will be like, shit, you know? Yeah. And I think I'm more of a, ah! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you would be the one that was like, oh, let's just get it done early. Who gives a shit? It's going to be fine. And I'd be like, I don't know mm-hmm. if we should. Okay, I suppose. And then if we found a dead body, I would scream and you'd be like, call 911 and then run over to it. I think after a minute, I may be like, okay, I can help. But like, I think yeah, you're better. You're more that way. Oh, so when she rips the bag off of the woman's head, she's like, she's not breathing. She's not so breathing. at this point, yeah. we're like, I'm guessing this person's dead. Mm-hmm. Same. So now we're at the hospital. Benson and Stabler get updates from the doctor. She is alive. The victim is Christina Narrett. She is unconscious, but EMS says that she was breathing for the whole transport on her own. Mm. She's getting an EEG to see how her brain is doing after all that oxygen deprivation. So the rape kit was negative for hair and fluids, but the victim's hair was wet when they found her, so she must have been cleaned up after being attacked. So the trace evidence might be gone. Benny gets a page from the ME's office, and it's urgent. Now we're at Coroner Warner's office. Benson and Stabler are getting updates. CSU got urine samples from the toilet in the apartment. Coroner Warner ran some tests. She ran other tests because DNA doesn't come back that quickly because Stabler's like, she's like, chill, daddy. I I got other tests. Like, fuck. So there's high levels of protein byproducts, which means that the victim or perp is dying of kidney failure. Bumpa. Is this the bumpa? I don't remember. I didn't put in when the... I didn't either. Do the theme song. They always do the theme song after like a... (gasps) That's probably it then. At Christina's apartment, Benny, Stabler, Toots, and Munch are sharing deets from canvassing the neighborhood. They found out Mm -hmm. Christina is an artist. The building doesn't have security cameras, and the maids didn't hear or see anything. CSU Judy is also on the scene checking the bathroom with Munch. (gasps) Gasp! The toilet seat was up. That means a man had to have been there. So they're positive Mm -hmm. the protonaceous pee is the perps! Oh, (laughs) The soap in the shower is wet, so that holds up the theory that the perp made her shower. Jude's still got to check the drain for hairs, and the only thing that's tripping her up is that it doesn't make sense that the perp went to the trouble of covering his tracks but left the sheets on the bed. Mm -hmm. Christina's cash and credit cards are still in her wallet, along with a receipt from a breakfast at a hotel that morning. $70 Mm -hmm. means at least two people. I will agree with that for breakfast. Yeah. Thank God Stabler's there to comment on the entirety of the moment. He goes, she buys him breakfast. He rapes her for lunch. Like, what? Jesus. I know. I was like, damn, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, right, guys? SVU. They're like, no, dude. Like, yeah, it's already fucked. Like, also, that wasn't like a good cop line. That wasn't a take off your sunglasses good cop line. Yeah. It was like, uh, I'm referring to rape as different times that people eat. It's fu- it was weird. I didn't like it. It was weird. I didn't like it either. And they had like a close up on his face and you're like, yeah, this isn't a sunglasses. Room. No. Yeah. This isn't, this, this, this isn't no. you walking away from a yeah from a bomb exploding behind you. No, they're like, we don't see everyone else, but off camera they're all like. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Pass. Yeah. Well, Munch and Toots head to the Hotel Kennedy restaurant. A waiter obviously remembers Christina. Yeah, I remember her. Breakfast rush. She was at table 10. I don't want to beat a dead horse cop, okay? But 
not only <laughs> not only is it wild for a server or bartender to remember a rando person in Manhattan where they see a ton of people at a hotel. Yeah. And it was the breakfast rush. Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. fucking not. You don't see faces when you're in the weeds yeah. like that. No. So for the sake of moving the story along, I guess he says Christina was at the restaurant with a guy wearing a fancy suit who was a total dick that his potatoes had salt on them. Christina seemed happy at first, but then was crying when he brought out the food. And he goes, she seemed a little PMS. Shut up. The waiter doesn't know. A Shut up, I said with my PMS. <laughs> I can't believe this guy like broke up with her before the food came. I know. The waiter doesn't know what Christina was upset about and can't recall the guy's name, but he goes to check his bar tab log because the guy was there early having a couple Bloody Marys while he was waiting for her. The guy's name was Brooks Harmon. It was on a corporate credit card for Blosner House Publishing. And I love how much said Blosner House Publishing. <laughs> Benny and Stabes visit the publishing company and are hoofing it in a busy office work walk and talk with Christina's boss, Brooks Harmon. He was in six episodes of The Sopranos. He tells them he thought something was wrong when she didn't show up for the 11 a.m. meeting, but her phone went straight to voicemail when he called. So Christina had just been hired as a medical illustrator at the publishing company. So cool i know i always wanted to be a science book illustrator when i was a kid oh. but for like like dinosaurs and stuff oh cool so his reasoning for being at breakfast together was that they were celebrating her new job which i've never had an employer take me to breakfast mm -mm. upon hiring me <laughs> i don't know i'd be like pass i don't want to go i don't even know you just let me come to work on monday am i getting paid for this <laughs> Brooks says Christina was crying at breakfast because she was so worried about handling the new job with such little experience. So when they asked Brooks about the salt incident, he brushes it off saying he likes salt, just not when the whole shaker is poured over his breakfast. And I feel like he's a bad tipper. <laughs> if this guy had kidney problems, like he wouldn't have had a couple Bloody Marys. I mean, that's no all salt. You are detectiving and so hard. I didn't even think about that. But yes. Where's my fedora? What? Is that him? A giant magnifying glass. <laughs> oh, I thought. Okay. I thought you were doing douche fedora, not detective fedora. I get it. <laughs> Brooks claims that he went straight to the office after breakfast and Stabler tells Brooks he was the last person to be seen with Christina. So mm. we're going to need a blood sample from you. And he's like, yeah, for mm. sure. Of course. Obviously. I'm totally fine with that. During that pleasant little moment, Benny got a call and as they leave Brooks's office, she tells Stabes that Cregan wants them to go back to Christina's apartment building to canvas the neighbors that weren't home earlier. He also said Toots and Munch are at the hospital because Christina is awake. At Bellevue Hospital, Munch and Toots are talking to Christina. She says a man with a gun came up behind her while she was opening her apartment door, which is fucking terrifying. Mm -hmm. Oh, she was in The Sopranos. Oh, she says he made her go inside, take off her clothes, and lie on her bed. He told her that he would kill her if she looked at him. She starts getting upset, of course, and says that he cuffed her to her bed, raped her, and then put the bag over her head. And she's very happy and grateful that the maids found her. Christina's sister Allison comes into the room. They hug. For some reason, I get the vibe that she's in on it. I don't know why. I have just I did too. Really? For a okay. While. For yeah. a while. Me I was too. Like, oh, you helped, but like out of yeah. Anyway, yeah. I thought she was in on it. Allison gives Christina her laptop, but would rather she rest than work. You know, she's like, I don't know why you want this. Like, you need to chill. Mm -hmm. And Christina says that work will help her forget what happened. Munch tells her that they have some info on counselors for her. And she fucking snaps. 
and says, I'm not talking to any shrinks. Then she chills and apologizes and knows that they're just trying to help. I hope they don't fucking use the she's not stable thing. It's like, because she was just fucking raped for Christ's sakes. Yeah. That's what we think at this point anyways. Outside of Christina's apartment building, Toots and Stabler are talking about how there's a lot of fucking holes in Christina's story. Munch tells Benny and Stabes and Toots that Christina got home at 10 and then the maids didn't find her until 11 30 mm-hmm. this is all in the morning by the way her and the perp were alone for an hour and a half benson says it's a long time to not get a look at the guy but that doesn't mean she made it up no duh <laughs> toot says that christina didn't mention taking a shower and a perp making you clean up is a detail you probably wouldn't forget mm, i don't know don't fucking assume man i don't love the conversation because yeah. there's a lot of stuff and in talking to survivors that have said stuff comes later yeah and this is what like five minutes after it happened right stabler says that the perp left around six minutes after he put the bag on her head any longer she would have died they're thinking this is all a little too coincidental Mm. stabler says nothing new was found when he and benson went back to canvas the building except that there is only one way in and one way out i guess that's kind of the same it's redundant whatever i mean i think that's not to code technically because there has to be more than one way out of a building yeah. for like fire stuff but what do I know I know about that stuff like that's that's it's yeah. not up to code OSHA right. saw this episode and was like oh, what is the address not OSHA <laughs> fucking the fire, fire marshal department. fire marshal Bill saw it Jim Carrey showed up <laughs> and was like <sighs> you can't see that I just dried my teeth and tucked my lip keep going no one <laughs> No one admits to seeing the perp. So either no one wants to fess up to letting a stranger in or they didn't see him. You know, maybe it was a guest of Christina's. Munch sees a security camera next door and it's possible it caught the perp. Now we're in the Tauru lab. Tarubin goes over the security footage with Benson and Stabler. Christina is seen getting out of a cab around 10 a.m. No one followed her into the building. Fast forward to 1130. Christina's new boss is seen leaving her apartment building. Mm. How do you get in there? That's weird that they didn't. Okay. Benson thinks Harmon used a condom when he raped Christina, and that's why he was willing to provide DNA samples so quickly. Now in an interrogation room, Benny and Stabes are confronting Brooks Harmon with images of him on the security tape. He better tell the truth because there's a couple chairs behind him just begging Stabler to throw him. Harmon was only in the building around 20 minutes. He can be seen entering at 11.09 and leaving right before 11.30. Harmon says he went to knock on her door to make sure she was okay when she didn't come to the office. Mm. And Benny's like, mm, okay, and you just stood out Outside her door for 20 minutes while she was suffocating inside. Nope, nope, nope. You would have told us if you'd stop by. There's mm-hmm. got to be more. There is more. And Stabler mm-hmm. doesn't buy it either. He AC Slater's one of those chairs instead of throwing it. That's called restraint. He gets right <laughs> up in Harmon's face. Hey, bud, you called to cancel the meeting that morning. Sounds like you had some place to go. Let me tell you what I think. You tried to kill Christina so your wife wouldn't find out you were banging her. Hmm. <laughs> he said banging her. He did? <laughs> yes. Weird. You tried to kill Christina so your wife wouldn't find out about your pork palace. Her, <laughs> her apartment pork palace. Okay. Herman admits that he and Christina were having an affair and Duh. that he broke things off that morning at breakfast, which is why she was crying. Then he takes a hard right and asks, oh, are you sure she wasn't crying because you asked to tie her up? We found your handcuffs. Herman and I were both like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like they're eating eggs Benedict and he's like, hey, maybe I could like tie you up. And she's like, oh, what? <laughs> Right. 
And Stabes, still inches from the sky's face, in all the interrogatory seriousness he has in him, says, The toilet seat was up. You do that? You sprinkle when you tinkle? Why don't you be a sweetie and wipe the seedy? Ew. No, he said the part. He didn't say the last part. <laughs> oh, I was like, holy shit. He's trying to get fired. He did, <laughs> <laughs> he did say, you sprinkle when you tinkle? And Ew. I'm like, Stabler, who wrote your fucking lines this episode? Jeremy, we, duh. Yeah, we know. We know. We know who. <laughs> Stabler then tells him about the urine sample from the toilet and lets Harmon know, like a smug little fuck too, that he's dying from kidney failure. I'm pretty sure a person would know if they were dying from kidney failure. Right. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a pretty intense thing. Constant pain. Mm-hmm. He's like, um, actually, <laughs> Harmon puts on a striped polo shirt, grabs a microphone and goes, apparently <laughs> that's not true. He yeah. just had a physical and is in perfect health. Just then Cregan comes in and tells Harmon he's free to go. Not only is he free to go, but with their apologies because there was a misunderstanding. When do they ever fucking apologize to someone when they're pressure questioning in any other case? They never do. Mm-mm. It's when they're powerful white men, but okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Harmon tells Benny and Stabes that they're fucking nuts. And leaves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Craigan tells Benson and Stabler that Corner Warner thinks the perp was someone else. Over at Corner Warner's office, she's updating Munch and Toots. She found cervical cells in the urine, so whoever peed in the toilet was female. The DNA doesn't match Christina's. So these two fucking Munch and Toots, these, these two come up with this whole story, okay? Bisexual Christina had her girlfriend over. That's why she didn't answer the door for Harmon. Then her girlfriend made her take a shower and get cuffed to the bed and taped a bag over her head. And then instead of going to Pound Town, she just went somewhere else and left Christina to suffocate. Wow, we're good. But why is Christina crying rape to protect her girlfriend? I know. It's like, what? I'm a ghost in the room, frustration screaming, because your theory's fucking stupid and flawed. And they're like, huh, our theory's so smart and flawless. We better go find out. Jesus Christ. But this is where I was like doubling down on it being her sister because of the cervical. I was like her sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the hospital, Munch and Christina are chatting in a lounge area. And I'm like, why is she still there? Like, is she on a psych hold or something? I feel like if she were just hanging out, they would release her. Maybe. I don't is know. this all in one day? I don't know. I was going to go back and look. And then I was like, no, Tasha, just move on. But also, you know, you have an emergency situation. You've already talked to the police. You've woken up. You're you're well enough to hang out in a lounge area. You know, maybe they were working on discharging her or something. I don't know. Mm. It doesn't matter. She tells Munch she doesn't want to talk about it, but then tells him it was an accident, not a crime. Mm. Well, Munch reminds her that falsely reporting a rape is a crime. Christina says she's tired and needs to lay down. This whole time they're talking, she's kind of shaking and seems off. And I thought it was just because she was nervous and kind of getting caught up and what she yeah. was lying about. I also hate that they all stood around in front of the building talking about how like, hmm, we don't believe her and they're always fucking right. Whenever yeah, they yeah. don't believe a rape victim, it's because she's lying. This- but it's like for how often it actually happens, which is like mm-hmm. never, right? the episode amount should reflect that. 
when it does happen, it's within the two blocks of this universe. Like that right. must be why the stats are so high there. So she's like shaking, right? I'm tired. I need to go lay down and stands up, but immediately collapses. Munch catches her and calls for help as she's on the floor having a seizure. Mm. Cut to a doctor and Munch walk and talk. Christina died and the medical examiner is on the way. They're investigating it as suspicious. She went into severe hypoglycemic shock when her blood sugar crashed. A finger stick showed a glucose level of two. Normal levels are around 90 and her insulin levels were super high. Someone had injected her with a really high dose of insulin about 15 to 20 minutes before she started having seizures. Mm. And I wish we didn't know the deets of this episode because if we were going in fresh, this would be a wild fucking ride. Yeah. Later, Munch and Toots are doing a walk and talk. Toots says that the hospital pharmacy went through inventory and nothing is missing. All the insulin is accounted for. Obviously, they think that someone brought it in from the outside, but there were no visitors besides her sister. Uh-oh. I keep going back to the sister. Uh-oh. Munch thinks... Are you sure it wasn't her bisexual girlfriend that tried to murder her? <laughs> Just follow that really good lead. Yeah. Munch thinks someone could have dressed like they worked there to get in and inject Christina. In Christina's hospital room, CSU is on the scene. Cyber has to go through all the fucking syringes from a biohazard box to find the one that was used on Christina, and she's not happy about it. Who would be? Mm-hmm. Right. But it turns out it's a fucking pretty easy job because the hospital orders one brand in bulk. She immediately finds the one syringe that doesn't match the hospital ones. It was like a big, huge one, too. Might as well have been like one of those metal ones from like the 1800s. It was actually a meat injector. <laughs> yeah. At the precinct, Munch and Toots and Kragen are all doing a little walk and talk. They're updating Kragen on the whole sitch. The hospital confirmed that the syringe doesn't match what they normally use, and CSU found prints and traces of insulin in the syringe and on the syringe. So no injection marks were found on Christina, so they could have used her IV port to inject it. Kragen says Christina doesn't meet the criteria for Angel of Death. They're usually like older and sick. She was okay. younger and healthy and about to be discharged. Oh, so you were right. Oh, there it is. Christina's sister was the very last person in the hospital room. And then, so Kragen's obviously like, would his her sister have a reason to kill her? Mm-hmm. Stabler comes over. He thinks Christina killed herself. He found some shit on her computer. Oh, my God. When they go over to Detective Serato's desk, he's doing the computer copying. He goes, gentlemen, uh, your so-called victim has been doing a little blogging. He says it in the most <laughs> big Bob's Bacon Burger voice. Yeah. Ever. I have Dr. Serato, a.k.a. Nerd Turd, even his fucking voice. <laughs> Your so-called victims been doing a little blogging, says the guy who goes on to be in four episodes of Disney Channel's Dog with a Blog. <laughs> he is. Oh, my God. That was a really satisfying thing to find, I'll tell you. <laughs> so he found a blog Christina visited a lot, and it's called CatchingTheTrain.com. It's a site about suicide and people talking about it and all that stuff. She mostly interacted with a person that has the screen name, quote, conductor toot says it makes sense as to why christina wanted her laptop at the hospital so bad she didn't fucking want to work she wanted to talk to these quote wackos okay i'm uh, i'm icking at the way he's talking about i know people that are struggling with being alive same yeah (laughs) she had made a post the day she was found called quote i'm still here miss the train in this post she says that the maids coming to her apartment and finding her ruined her suicide plan 
And then the fucking quote conductor and her go back and forth about her suicide attempt. The conductor is like, what now, et cetera, et cetera. And then the insulin was actually suggested by the conductor. Holy shit. Craigan says that they need to move on from this whole case and to protect their living victims. Munch argues that it could be second degree manslaughter and that the woman that peed in Christina's apartment was the conductor. Mm-hmm. That fucking nerd guy found where Christina ordered her insulin from. It was an online prescription mill in Staten Island. Roundhouse. Benny fucking leads the team into the prescription mill warehouse. Shut up. Don't touch anything. Shut up. This cartoon man in an oversized (laughs) suit and glasses runs up and he's like, I'm Marvin Friedman. Chairman, CEO, you can all wait outside till uh, lawyers arrive. It's very um, (laughs) animated. Yeah. Stabler hands him a warrant and reads him a little bit just the way we like. This guy is trying to defend what they're doing as legit. Mm, Not quite. (laughs) After he's painted into a corner, he's all, what do you want from me? Dude, tell us about this fucking order. It's all we want. The CEO says he remembers Christina's order because he ended up having to talk to her on the phone. She called frantic because he wouldn't ship it to a P.O. box. So it was sent to her home address. Mm -hmm. At Christina's place, Munch is chatting with Christina's sister while she's packing stuff. (gasps) And then I was hardcore. Like, it was her sister because her sister was at the house and Mm -hmm. got the delivery and took it to the house. You know, Munch wants to know if any packages had come for Christina while she was in the hospital. Her name's Allison. Yeah. Allison hands him a small white shipping box and asks him if he knows what's in it. Mm. Munch tells her they think Christina used insulin to die by suicide. Since she couldn't get the box that was delivered to the house, she may have had someone else get it. So sister is like off the radar completely. Just right now. Well, I mean, to me, I must have mentally missed that part or something because I was still like, hmm. Munch also tells her that it's a crime that someone helped Christina kill herself and wants to know if anyone had keys to the apartment. Allison says that Christina didn't have any friends. Mm-hmm. Munch asked her where she was the day before. She was the last one seen with Christina before she died. And Allison denies helping Christina and was pretty offended that he suggested it. Mm-hmm. As a guilty person would be. Mm-hmm. It's not her. It's not her. Yeah. Let's, yeah. I'm like, let's move on. You're like, I did at the beginning of the scene, Tasha. <laughs> Toots comes in to pull Munch away. The computer crimes unit found the conductor. Ooh. Choo-choo. Choo-choo. So now we're at the New Horizons Fertility Clinic lab. Dr. Amy Solway is approached in the lab by Munch and Toots. She uses sign language to communicate, and her <gasps> assistant translates for her. What? This is Marley Matlin. I love her. She was big. She was in one of the best Seinfeld episodes ever. Do you remember it? No. I didn't. You're too busy watching Roseanne. Okay, so the episode she was in is called The Lip Reader. So George has a girlfriend that breaks up with him, and Jerry is dating Marley Matlin's character, and they go to dinner, and George is like, oh my god, she can read lips. Why don't we take her to this party? But they're like covering their faces the whole time having this conversation at the table. He's like rubbing his eyes, you know, and he's like, why don't we bring her to the party? And she can see what they're saying and see what... And Jerry puts a napkin over his face. He's like, she's not a novelty act that you hire out for weddings and bar mitzvahs, George. And then George is rubbing his eyeballs under his glasses and covering his mouth. And he's like, it's a skill, just like juggling. She probably enjoys showing it off. It was... And then Kramer fucking is like, I read lips too. And he's signing with her at this party. And he looks at them and he's like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Because he doesn't know something. Anyway... 
It's fucking good. It's a great episode. But she's been in a million other things. But you would probably know her from The L Word. She was um, in a ton of episodes. She was Jody. In... I never really watched that. Oh, really? I'm surprised. I, I did a little bit, but I never like watched all of them or got really into it. Yeah. Well, anyway, she's the big get this episode. She's a star. Yeah. yeah, so her assistant translates for her. Okay, so Toots tells her that since it's official business, they will call an interpreter to come to the precinct, and she agrees to come in. Which I don't get. Like, why can't the... I don't know. Why can't her... She's speaking through her. You know what I mean? There's there's just an ethics thing, and it's like, I would be able to speak for myself. Why can't... She choose who speaks for her? Yeah, that's who she speaks through. So it's just... I don't know. Now we're in the Whatever. precinct upper area, that little, like, where the TV is and shit. Mm-hmm. Munch asked her... If she'd like to be called Dr. Solway or the conductor, <gasps> she says, I'm called conductor on the internet. In person, you can call me Amy. When we're having drinks, <laughs> call me Amy. Choo choo. Toots asks her how she knows Christina. And she's like, I fucking don't, dude. But she does recognize Christina's screen name, C-U, as in see you later or whatever. Mm-hmm. Amy's like, oh yeah, this is my that's my website. I I made this. Munch asks if she helped Christina, and then Amy's like, I just gave her advice. And Toots says bad advice, and then Amy says she didn't think so. She was in pain. Mm-hmm. Munch says, and suicide is the cure. What kind of fucking doctor are you? So Amy is an embryologist, and then Toots says you help people get pregnant. Then on your spare time, you help people kill themselves. They kind of go over some things she says on the website. This is all fucking like super all triggers, trigger warnings very, everywhere. This whole episode is a trigger. The, yeah. It is, yeah, yeah. They kind of go over some things she says on the, on the website, like how to mix cyanide with water so it doesn't burn going down munch calls it suicide for dummies amy says that her website also prevents suicide and then amy's like it's all just talk you know free speech benson comes up and kind of observes they ask amy where she was around lunchtime two days ago she says she was at work and her assistant came back her up and then munch points out to her that she doesn't seem that upset about christina's death and amy's like i'm fucking not because Christina is happy now. She's not in any more pain. Mm -hmm. Amy says that Christina did not commit a crime and neither did she. And she's like, I'm going to go back to work. So I'll see you later. Mm -hmm. When she gets ready to leave, Benson tells Munch that Amy is lying. Benson recognizes her Burberry trench coat. She's a woman. And I bet she smells like lilies and bergamot or whatever the fuck. Dude. Thank God. They, they they continue to only like value. Thank God we have women on the police force now. They know things about fingernail polish, perfume, and jackets. You know? Fashion. The gang's all together, holding hands. They're with Novak and Huang. They like open up a little gap and Novak and Huang come in. Um <laughs> There was Novak and Huang, and they're looking at the security footage again. The music gets all swelly. You can see Amy from the waist down leaving the building two minutes after Christina's boss left. She was probably what? waiting. What a fucking reach. What a fucking reach. First of all, that Burberry trench isn't unique. It's like carrying right. a Louis Vuitton Neverfull. And in New York... Come on, I know. give me a fucking break. This Burberry trench thing, I get into more detail about it later because I don't know how to let shit go. But yeah, they literally saw from just above the knee down mm-hmm. of this trench. Okay. Right. Going. I sorry. know. So I'm not sorry. I'm a detective. <laughs> You're just doing your fucking job, Tasha. Exactly. 
<laughs> Checks and balances, people. Come on now. She's probably waiting till he left so he wouldn't see her. So she probably helped Christina put on the cuffs and the plastic bag. Huang thinks the urine on the toilet was Amy's. She probably has Alport syndrome. It's a pretty rare genetic disorder that causes deafness and kidney failure. So like, duh. Novak wants them to connect Amy to the insulin first before they go and grab her. Huang says that the fertility clinic would carry insulin for pregnant people with gestational diabetes. Now we're back at the fertility clinic. The cops are there looking around and the gang is all there. Amy says that the insulin is stored upstairs and she doesn't even have access to it. And then Munch is like, guess what? <laughs> Lucky us, this warrant covers the entire office. Amy says, please, you are literally holding potential lives in your hands. And then Munch is like, you must know what that's like. Friggin' Toots finds some insulin in her fucking office desk. Uh-oh. Munch arrests Amy for assisting a suicide. <sighs> You're going to hate me this scene. Just, I am? I'm just letting you know in advance. Yeah, Why? just because I got weird. Oh, okay. Not even weird. No, I just I just get dad jokey, but not the kind you like. Okay. At the <laughs> jail, Amy and her lawyer negotiate charges with Novak and Munch. You think it's personal for somebody? Maybe. We do find out, yeah. Amy's lawyer, which is Trevor Langan, argues that the second degree manslaughter charges are fucking bullshit, claiming what was said between Amy and Christina on the website was free speech and covered by the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. And Novak's like, yeah, duh, not even clever, Trevor. It's not about what she said. It's about what she did. Duh, Casey, get out of my facey. I know. <laughs> Tell him about the insulin. You're right. I do hate this. <laughs> I, I, don't, I hated it, too. And I was like doing it. I'm like, I hate I hate this. I don't know why I insist on keeping it, though. I was like, I'm keeping it. It's not funny, but I'm keeping it. God bless you. Thank you. Amy said she had leftover insulin in her office from a patient that brought it back when she didn't need it anymore. Langan says Amy must have forgotten to put the insulin back. She's very busy. Munch with a hunch points out that the syringe used for Christina's insulin matched the ones used at the fertility clinic. Hmm. Langan tries to argue that other doctors' offices could use them too. Novak tells them about Amy being seen on tape leaving Christina's building. It was the bottom of her coat. This <laughs> irritated me to a level that makes me think I'm not on a high enough dose of Ritalin. Okay, the Burberry Trench came out in 1890, all right? They literally <laughs> invented the name trench coat and it sold consistently for over a hundred years yeah Th this is my legally blonde moment to shine mm -hmm. happy people don't kill other people <laughs> because is it the first cardinal rule of perm maintenance that you're forbidden to wet your hair for at least 24 hours after getting a perm at the risk of deactivating the ammonium diglycolate? <laughs> that's me yeah i'm reese witherspoon <laughs> i'm reese without her spoon <laughs> Amy says, you're like, I'm not going to laugh and we're gonna gonna going to keep moving on. Keep going. <laughs> Don't dumb. Don't even talk to me about it. <laughs> I'm sorry for existing. Just this scene. Just this. Scene. I don't know why I insisted on being the worst. Amy says Christina called her. They talked about her plans in the hallway and Amy tried to talk her out of it. Munch questions Amy about that conversation going against her beliefs. Like, mm, really? You would talk her out of it? Doubt it. Amy rolls her eyes, drops her hands on the table. Like, oh my God, she's so fucking frustrated. We hear you, girl. Mm -hmm. She tells him he couldn't possibly understand. Trevor reminds them they have no witnesses saying they saw Amy go into Christina's apartment or into the hospital room. And I'm like, Allison, Christina's sister helped her. She did not. <laughs> Novak asks that they get her blood for a DNA sample, and Amy agrees. So this whole conversation, Trevor has really good 
arguments. Mm -hmm. They could easily win this case. You know, all yeah. of this shit is circumstantial, every bit of it. And yeah. the parts that aren't circumstantial, like the fucking conversation online is a First Amendment situation. In the ME office, Corner Warner tells Munch and Toots that Dr. Huang was right on the money. Amy has Alport syndrome. You guys should really listen to him more. No, nah, we're not going to do that. Why would she agree to a blood test if her DNA wasn't going to give her up? She thinks Amy thought that she could fool them if she gave blood right after dialysis, but her kidneys are in such bad shape, the dialysis only helped a little. Mm. And based on the labs, Corner Warner thinks Amy has renal osteodystrophy. It's from her dialysis and could be killing her slowly and painfully. Amy could mm. be in so much constant pain that she could be considered choosing death by suicide herself they're mm -hmm. constantly cutting to munch and i'm going oh is his mind kind of shifting is he open to the possibility that this might be a route that some people should be able to choose like that's what that's where i was the whole time thinking yeah toots gets a call the print on the syringe used on christina is christina's and amy's christina injected herself because her print was on the pump and amy brought it to her because amy's prints were on the cylinder mm. now we're at the arraignment amy got a new attorney barry more doc how much doc mm. you need well obviously more doc than this i'll see myself out that's the last one i think <laughs> This guy has a 67-year acting career. He's reoccurring on SVU until 2011. He was in Mad Men, ER, Nurse Jackie, Law & Order Regular, 30 Rock. Ah, real monsters. We've already... He's We've been done this before. guy? He's, yeah. Yeah, I wonder... Because he's always trying to set a fucking precedent and not worry about his client. And Novak's always like, stop. Well, this guy was only in one episode before this, and I wasn't sure if we had covered him or not. Yeah, because it was the one where, um, what was it? He was trying to set a precedent for something else, and like he wasn't telling his client certain things. Was that him? I See, I didn't know if I had gone over his shit, because I feel like I would have mentioned that he played a character credited as Daddy's Daddy in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. You did talk about I, I swear I to God you did, did, but maybe... Okay, well, maybe, maybe I just I'm... dug a little deep. I don't remember. I have fucking overly researched so many fucking people it just immediately leaves my brain sorry if i'm repeating myself but i could be wrong i mean it could be a different guy but i, I swear to god it was the same guy because i was like oh he's because i commented on later i'm like oh my god this guy's bad i mean he had we met him one other time before so maybe okay but this guy is probably most recognizable from his 110 episodes of northern exposure and his <gasps> son jd mm. is also an actor and was in goddamn dog with a blog what Life is strange. Oh my God. Wouldn't that be weird if they're like, oh my God, it's so nice to be on set with you again? <laughs> remember Dog with a Blog? Yeah. Dog with a Blog. I remember him from Northern Exposure okay. for sure. That's why he looks so familiar. Okay. Yeah. He had like a big role in that show. Obviously, he was in 110 episodes. Amy pleads not guilty. When asked about bail, Novak asked to approach the bench. She believes Amy is a suicide risk based on her illness. So the judge mm. rules that Amy will be held without bail at Bellevue Hospital's prison ward to have access to dialysis and to be watched. It's just wild the amount of policing that's done on our own bodies. Like the, they're like, mm, nope, we're not going to let that mm. happen. It's just interesting. Yeah. I get into it more in the chaser, but mm. outside Barry is talking to Novak. Barry's like nice fucking beret, Novak. Oh, <laughs> I was like nice fucking beret, Novak. <laughs> he says, I believe in the Constitution. I bet you do, too. Novak's like, chill, daddy. This case is about murder, not free speech. Amy brought Christina the syringe. Barry 
Harvey says that Amy didn't force Christina to use it, though. It. Novak says the law doesn't make that distinction. Barry says that the law in this case is the problem, not what Amy did. Novak tells Barry that Amy isn't a cold-blooded killer and she's open to a deal. And then Barry's like, we're not interested in making a deal. Amy wants her day in court and Novak's like, she does or you do? He does. Mm -hmm. Novak tells him to actually represent Amy's interest and talk to her about making a deal and not let Amy spend what little time she has left locked up. Barry is fucking pissed that Amy's being held at Bellevue and suggests that Huang should evaluate her for suicide risk, which I was kind of surprised. Like, why didn't you get your own? Because he's probably confident and is like going to talk to her and be like, listen, if you want to be out right now. Yeah, we'll use your guy. I don't care. Just go. Mm hmm. Now we're at the Bellevue Hospital Prison Ward. Huang and Amy talk about her Alport syndrome. Huang asked her, since she's been deaf her whole life, was it hard for her to grow up that way? And she says her dad is deaf, so she never knew anything else. The kidney failure didn't bother her either because she knew it was coming. The pain is what she wasn't ready for. She's on the list for a kidney transplant, but they haven't found a match yet. Amy says that the pain is what has made her first think about suicide. She talked to three therapists. They put her on antidepressants. They didn't help her, though. Wong says she's still here, so she must have found a way to cope. Her blog is what helped her. She tells him about the catchingthetrain.com and her first interactions with people on the website. It became her community and her support system. She talked about how one woman commented and she was struggling mentally, not physically. And Amy told her to get help that she should be grateful she's not dying. The woman responded with, quote, who are you to assume my pain is not equal or worse than yours? Mm -hmm. And then Amy thought, I'm fucking judging her and she's right. And I told her... I supported whatever decision she made. Wong says, but you did more than that with Christina. You helped her die. She could have been helped to want to live. Amy tells Wong that he believes suicide is wrong because it's his job to save people. Wong says that psychiatry and medicine are about improving the quality of life, not ending it. Amy says shrinks and medicine didn't work for her and she still thinks about suicide every day. The people on her website are what keeps her from doing it. What would they do after she was gone? Mm -hmm. So now we're back at the precinct. Huang updates the gang. He says it's super ironic that her website gives her reason to live. Munch says Amy is playing God and she's like Kevorkian. That's a guy oh. that was assisting. I think he was from Michigan. Honey, that's the chaser. Okay, yeah. I'm so excited for that because back in the 90s, all I knew about him was that he was like a killing monster yes. and this yes. terrible. And I don't think that way. No, I don't think that either. And um, he wasn't even helping people. And I'm like, honey, he was. I remember in my interpretation, I mean, we were young when this was happening, um, mm. but the picture that was painted for me was he was up there with fucking Dahmer and Gacy yes. and yep. that was Same. what was happening. They're all going back and forth about how they feel about suicide. Munch and Stabler think that life is worth living, probably because they don't have any mental health issues. <laughs> also that Stabler's Catholic. Right. Benson thinks that she doesn't know what she would do if she had a terrible disease that was drawing on a long, terrible death. She said she'd probably think about it. Right. I mean, she's actually the only person in this conversation who opens their mind to the idea that this level of autonomy is maybe mm -hmm. okay. Right. Novak thinks Christina's lawyer, Barry Mordick, <laughs> he's going to get the jury stacked with people that support assisted suicide. He's gonna... It's Mordock. I know. I was... Mordick is your middle name. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Gabe Mordick Joiner. He's going to out the assisted suicide statue. She says the jury will nullify and then a new precedent is set. Mm -hmm. He's doing the precedent thing. Yeah. Then the law can be ignored. Huang says that's exactly what Amy wants. The right to take our own lives. Mm hmm. 
In trial, Huang's on the stand. He says that Amy isn't depressed and doesn't suffer with mental illness. She's in constant physical pain and deals with it by spreading the message that suicide is a right. Munch is in the gallery, blinklessly staring at Amy. He's yeah. just fucking burning daggers into the back of her head. I'm guessing he's thinking about her being right because he's usually so much more open-minded, but who knows with much. That was my commentary in the moment. I was incorrect. Barry questions Huang about suicide, and Huang argues that suicide can be prevented through medication and therapy. And Barry says that that doesn't always work. Huang tells him that people that die by suicide 98% of the time have treatable mental illnesses. Mm. Great, but that isn't always the case. This is me jumping in and arguing. I'm not there. It's very obvious where I stand on this stuff, but Huang's talking like suicide isn't a final avenue choice right now. Like there are a lot of medical choices that we make for quality of life. And all Amy's arguing is that this is a choice that people should just be able to make based on a lot of different factors. Amy's lawyer then really stumps Huang. He says, the truth is you can't sit there and say there's such a thing as a terminal mental illness. Mm. And Huang says, no. God, can you imagine not being treatable and just being in agony until you're allotted time to die? That's what happens. I know. I mean, and I'm like, I'm going to say this again before the chaser because I wrote a little thing, but I'm not arguing for, I don't want somebody struggling listening to this going, these guys think it's okay. That's not what we're saying. There are a lot of things that can help before getting to that point, you know? Even if it doesn't seem like it. And we're not speaking on it lightly. There were plenty of times throughout my, that and probably will be in the future through my journey with mental illness where that in my mind was an option and I have been able to get the help to to not feel that way, to Mm -hmm. not have that in my mind. But I have seen people in constant physical pain, you know, who passed from cancer Mm -hmm. and just how brutal it was at the end. And yeah, she was allowed to stop getting treatments. There were things that she was able to say, I'm not doing those anymore because I'm going to just let this happen instead of continuing to fight it. And that's a choice. But then she had to go through. It's legal to refuse treatment. Yeah. But then it's not legal to. Yeah. Okay. It's we're, we're going to get into it more in the chase. I just wanted to make a point multiple times, I think, to to be like, we're not saying. Yeah, no, no, because no. it, it is it's, it is the end treatment. Like that is the yeah. end. Uh, I have resources and stuff to to share as well so and send us emails let us know what you think what your opinion on it is please yeah yeah i'm curious everybody's got like different thoughts about it so for sure and i'm i'm super curious to hear if somebody has a really strong opinion to not legalize these things end of life treatment yeah end of life yeah i'm curious too yeah Yeah, i want to hear that all right now amy takes the stand Amy tells them about how she went to Christina's apartment to give her moral support and says that Christina told her about the cuffs and the plastic bag and what her plan was. Amy says she wished her a safe journey and left. When Christina was in the hospital, Amy was asked by Christina to bring insulin, so she did. When asked if she coerced Christina into suicide, she says it was all Christina's idea. Now it's Novak's turn. Does the music have a thiamine deficiency? Because it's getting swelly. (laughs) Do you you get that? It causes edema. Yes. (laughs) That was a bad, whatever. I googled it. What causes swelling? I have a joke. (laughs) 
Novak asks Amy if she knew that Christina's boyfriend broke up with her that morning. And Amy didn't know that, meaning she didn't know if it was the breakup that was contributing to Christina's decision to end her life. Mm -hmm. Novak tells her she's not a licensed medical professional, so she's being fucking reckless. Then asked about her criteria for, quote, helping people follow through with suicide online. They could Mm. be children, teens, people with developmental disabilities, etc. She tells her she doesn't know because they're just names on a computer screen to her. Amy gets Mm. fucking mad and she straight yells at Novak about judging her and the people who want to die by suicide. She doesn't live in pain every day like Amy and the people that she helps. Later, Barry's closing argument is centered around the right to suicide and urges the jury to say that Amy's not guilty. We're in Barry's closing arguments. The shit just keeps cutting to munch. I'm just observing this the whole time. Like, I've got some fucking sixth sense. And it's very obvious. But I'm like, oh, he is going to have a personal story for sure. Yeah. We all know that, Tasha. Yeah. Novak argues that no one has the right to kill someone else. Novak's giving her closing argument now and says that no one has the right to kill someone else. So Amy shouldn't have the right to help Christina kill herself. She says Christina didn't get help because Amy encouraged her to end her life. Mm -hmm. Now the jury comes back after deliberation. They're deadlocked. The judge dismisses the trial and Munch angrily leaves the room. Mm P.S. This judge was first in season five, episode eight, but I don't remember if I talked about him or not. He's on SVU until season 14 and came from Law and Order Regular where he played this judge since 1991. Okay. He was also Jake Gyllenhaal's dad in Brokeback Mountain. <gasps> And like a hundred other things, but that and Executive 3 and Big were the only ones that I gave a shit about. Outside the courthouse, Munch and Novak are doing a little walk and talk. She's wearing that fucking beret again. Mm -hmm. She's like, is this working for me? And he's like, oh my God, we're not talking about your hat, Casey. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Munch is mad Amy didn't go to prison. Novak says that she underestimated Barry's arguments. Munch is like, pfft can't believe 10 of the jurors wanted her convicted and she's fucking let go because two wanted her to walk uh bro other way around the majority wanted her to walk and munch is like oh shit well let me know when you need me for the retrial and she's like um hon there's not gonna be a retrial the da doesn't want to make amy a martyr for assisted suicide there is a chance they could charge her when she tries to do the same thing again but novak had no choice still munch keeps bitching at her like it's her fault And he's like, well, I got to go. I can't wait to tell Christina's sister. Okay. Mm. So now we're at Christina's apartment. Munch lets her know about the trial. She says that if dying was what Christina really wanted, then maybe it's okay. Allison is sad that Christina didn't talk to her about being suicidal. I sort of like kind of thought maybe they had like a suicide pact for a minute. Mm -hmm. She's upset and says she could have helped her. Munch tells her that's not her fault. And she says, why couldn't she just talk to me? Now I'm all alone. She should have thought about that. And Munch says, people who die by suicide don't always consider the mess they leave behind. Or they think people are better off without them. This is him talking, by the way. Mm, Munch tells Allison that she has every right to be mad at Christina. But she says she isn't. Allison says she could have stopped her the second time if she had listened to a message that was on the voicemail. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And the music is all swelly. Munch is like, what message? Amy 
had sent Christina a voicemail the night after she tried to suffocate herself, but Allison didn't listen to the message until after the funeral. Then she plays it for Munch and it says, quote, sorry you missed the train, but this time we will go together. I will bring enough to the hospital for both of us. Munch plays the message for Craig and Novak. The voice is a TTY machine. That's where you type in stuff and then the voice reads it over the phone. Yeah. Amy's phone log shows she fucking made the call the night before Christina died. Novak said it's a suicide pact. Amy either backed out or lied to Christina to push her over the edge. Novak is going to ask the DA to let them retry Amy with a new charge. Yes. In the chambers of my dog, Judge Walter Bradley. (sighs) Novak... Novak and Barry are in there talking to him. His ears are so floppy. Barry's huffing and puffing at Novak because she wants to charge Amy with second-degree murder. Novak tells the judge they can prove Amy and Christina had a suicide pact since Amy pulled out of the pact for personal gain. The statute dictates that the charge is murder to... Barry's Mm -hmm. like, what the fuck would she have to gain by doing that? Amy's gain was validation for her cause, which is what she got when the jury deadlocked. Barry thinks he can swing his dick out and have the judge hop on, but not Walter. Not my sweet, sweet little Waltie. He follows the letter of the law. That's how it's written. That's how it's going to be done. And unless you can prove Novak wrong, we're going back to trial. Then he butt scoots across the floor. Because he's he's got worms. (laughs) Excuse me, gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) that was him at the country club leaving (laughs) munch walks into the precinct trials over the grand jury took 15 minutes to indict amy then he asks him if he's okay he thinks that amy getting convicted won't change anything what if someone takes over her website while she's in prison and benny and staves are like dude the internet is terrible shit like that's all the internet is this is just one Mm -hmm. of those things we're literally svu you know that Mm -hmm. novak comes in she's on her way to bellevue because amy's refusing dialysis and they're gonna force her to fucking live to punish her at the hospital amy tells them that she'd rather die now than in prison munch goes you mean you'd rather be a martyr amy gets mad and tells him to stop calling her that get him the fuck out of here amy says that she didn't trick christina she thought that if she said she would die with her that it would make her feel more comfortable and feel better about her decision Mm, i don't like that i don't like that either novak says she's gonna get a court order to force the dialysis and Barry says no judge would issue that. Besides, Amy said that she'll just starve herself then. Guys, mm-hmm. like none of this shit seems cool because it's not. They're not going to force dialysis on her. And then she's going to say, okay, fine, I'll stop eating. What, are they going to force a feeding tube on her? Yeah. That's not how it works. In Novak's office, Amy's nephrologist comes in. Novak says she can't talk to her and she should contact Amy's attorney. This lady says that it was actually her attorney that asked her to talk to Novak. So a kidney was found for Amy and they don't have much time. This lady's acting was awful. Did you see her in anything else? If you looked into her, she was terrible. I didn't look into She's her. She's like, I'm a nephrologist. I have a briefcase. A kidney's in here. We have one <laughs> okay. or whatever. Yeah, no, I don't. I didn't. I didn't notice how terrible it was. Yeah. Now at Novak's apartment, someone's knocking the door. It's fucking munch. He's pissed that she didn't call him. Novak's like, oh my God, how did you find my address? <laughs> also, there's nothing that anyone can do. She would never give Munch her address. No, but he's Ugh. a detective. He probably went into her personnel file. Yeah. It's not like they're hanging mm-hmm. out. They're not watching football on Sundays. <laughs> they play softball, sex crimes. 
oh, yeah, that's team. Right. Amy is waving the choice to get the transplant, especially if she's just going to go to prison. Amy says it's a waste of a kidney. Mm-hmm. Munch wants Novak to plead Amy out to a lesser charge to get her out of prison. Like, what do you want, Munch? Novak is like, what the fuck, dude? You wanted me to jump through hoops to retry her? Why are you so fucking invested in this? Which is what we're all thinking. Yeah. He says that her dying isn't worth it. Novak says that if they give in to this, it will pave the way for any other, quote, hero who wants to force a plea by threatening suicide. Munch says she's different. And Novak's like, no, dude, she's not. I'm sorry. She refuses to plea a lesser charge. Munch and his transition lenses peel out of their angry. They're the fucking real MVP of this episode. Motherfuckers were working. Left no crumbs. These motherfuckers. Did you notice his transitions? They were just like on fire the whole episode. No. Oh, my God. I was just like. They were in. They were out. They were. His transition lenses were the character actor of this episode. (laughs) You think it's the swelly music? It's those transitions, baby. (laughs) Baby, his transition lenses are the Daniel Day-Lewis of this Okay, okay. <laughs> Munch goes to Amy's hospital room forcefully and says, can you read my lips? And Amy's eyes like irritated he's there and she's like, oh, yes. He asks her why she won't take the kidney and she says that it's her fucking life, her decision. Munch tells her it's the wrong decision and she's like, fucking kick rocks, Beanpole. Get out of here. We don't care. Get out. He's like, nice way to catch the train, eh? In this dump, she says she doesn't want to be in pain anymore and he tells her to fucking take the kidney then. And then she's like, why? So I can go to prison? And Munch is like, so you can live. Amy asks why Munch cares if she lives or dies. Then Munch reveals the whole reason why he's fucking balls deep in this. Mm -hmm. And it was because of his father's suicide. Now we see it. He tells her how when he was a kid, he thought it was his fault. Because the night his dad died, Munch had gotten in trouble and was punished for being a little fucking wise ass. Which checks out. Munch told his dad that he hated his guts. And those were his last words to him. And it haunts him to this day. God, that would suck. Yeah. Amy is the only one Munch has told that too she asks him why why her and munch says he and amy are the same he felt guilty that his dad was suffering and couldn't help him she feels guilty because of what she did to christina amy starts crying she tells munch that she's sorry he tells her he doesn't want her to die he asks her to please help him help her and then they hold hands toy fucking yoda dude that's it yeah what the toyota they what in the toyota before we get into this I want to kind of go over what we were hitting earlier. I'm not advocating for suicide. I'm advocating for human rights and dignity and their choices of end of life care. Yes. For every personal story arguing one way, there's a counter story and there's a lot of nuance to this entire thing. Um, With that, one in 100 deaths worldwide is by suicide. For every one person who dies, there are 20 who attempted and lived. If you're having suicidal thoughts, you can call 988 in the U.S. to reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. I also looked up the other places we have with the highest number of downloads. In Australia, call 131114. In Canada, call 1-833-456-4566. And in the U.K., call 0800-689-5652. I've also attached a link in our show notes to a list of a ton of other countries but yeah i just wanted to put that at the top of this chaser because it's an intense issue to cover Mm -hmm. all right mirad jacob kevorkian was born on may 26 1928 in pontiac michigan you know him as jack 
Kevorkian. Mm -hmm. Both of his parents fled the Ottoman Empire to survive the Armenian genocide and raised Jack and his two sisters in Michigan. He was an extremely bright and driven kid with very supportive parents and sisters. They all saw him as brilliant from a young age. Mm -hmm. As a kid, he taught himself German, Russian, Greek, and Japanese. He was admitted to medical school before even finishing his undergraduate degree. I saw an interview where somebody was saying he could write German with one hand while simultaneously writing something completely different in English in his other hand with his other hand. Jesus. Kevorkian did his residency at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. He initially started studying death in the dying of it. He was researching during his residency mm -hmm. when a person dies, like at what exact moment is actual death. So looking at their retinas and the vessel changes before and after death, he would note those changes. He was helping to uncover the perfect window for organ transplants because there's only so much time that they're viable once a person dies. His peers started calling him Dr. Death just because he was always researching corpses. That was something that was new information for me. I thought he was called that because of what he did in the 90s. Yeah. Death, the taboo, and macabre were always things he was interested in and was drawn to studying. He once said, quote, you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you are, and you don't know where you're going when you die. Religion ain't gonna explain it. Science isn't gonna explain it. You gotta accept that fact. And if you do, death loses its terror. It's a part of life. He was so matter-of-fact about how he talked about it to the point of critics mm -hmm. would think that he was being flippant and accused him of being flippant about life and death. Mm -hmm. As a pathologist working at Pontiac General Hospital, he read about cadaver blood transfusions. The Russian military had been doing them on the battlefields for decades, legit putting blood from a fresh corpse directly into an injured soldier. They would connect them and do the transfusion that mm. way because, you know, soldiers wear, I don't know if they do anymore, but they would wear bracelets with their blood type on them. Mm. We were in Vietnam at the time and he thought we should be doing this. So he published a paper in military medicine and applied for a grant to get that research going. And it didn't really get anywhere, but it was during this work where he was doing blood transfusions for his research and unfortunately contracted hepatitis C. Mm. Put a pin in that. Back at Henry Ford during his residency, he found himself seeing patients at their worst with cancer and other terminal illnesses. His mother also died of cancer. By the end, she had cancer in every bone in her body. She withered down to 80 pounds and was in what he and his sisters called the worst pain you could see someone in. Jack and his sisters went to her doctor and pled with him to get him to help her pass. And he refused because he couldn't. And she mm -hmm. suffered until she died. Jack Avorkian decided that he would focus on that. And after publishing several articles on the ethics of human euthanasia in the German Journal of Medicine and Law, he put his beliefs into action. He called it death counseling and placed an ad in the paper. The ad read, is someone in your family terminally ill? Does he or she wish to die and with dignity? Call physician consultant. He then built his suicide machine. So the machine is basically this. The patient's hooked up to an IV and is being given saline. When the patient and no one else, just the, the patient has to hit the switch, push the button. The saline stops and the concentrated pentothal starts. It puts them into a deep coma. Then on a timer, 60 seconds later, concentrated potassium chloride automatically administers, seizing the patient's heart. Janet Adkins from Portland, Oregon, suffering with Alzheimer's became his first patient in 1990. There was nowhere that they could go to do this procedure. So they did it in his van at a park 
once it was over, mm -hmm. Kevorkian called the police and let them know. He saw it as a medical procedure. The authorities saw it as first degree murder and he was arrested and the shit blew up. Attorney Jeffrey Figer represented mm -hmm. him and the judge threw out the first degree murder charge. As soon as Kevorkian got out, people were calling him nonstop for his help. Like him being arrested made it so the entire country knew who this guy was. Um, mm -hmm. So his phone's ringing off the hook. From the second he got to his office until the end of the day, he was getting phone calls from people. He claimed to have talked a lot of people out of it and would tell them they should seek other treatment and only come to him when they've exhausted everything else. He would tell people, I'm still mm -hmm. gonna be here. So please do these other things before you come to me. There's always, always, always conflicting shit. So there are conflicting accounts to what people were suffering with when he helped them, et cetera. But in speaking for himself on his mission, he said, quote, you're not doing it to help him die. You're doing it to help his intolerable suffering. Mm -hmm. He continued his work with the terminally ill. And as he did, the media followed him. He was protested. He gained supporters. He spoke on dying with dignity and he was arrested for times between 1994 and 1997. He was acquitted three of those times, and the fourth was a mistrial. At every trial, Kevorkian's attorney would show video of consultations the doctor kept. He recorded every meeting with the patient and whatever support person they had brought, as well as their informed consent. When the jury would see those videos, they would always be a clincher for acquittal. It was then that the jury understood what Kevorkian was doing. And mm -hmm. there was testimony from these jurors that were like, I saw this whole video of this person talking, asking for his help, talking about what they had been through. They did different physical tests and things like that. People would be like, I was bawling the whole time. Like this, this is a compassionate procedure. This isn't a sadistic event. Mm -hmm. After after the first time he was arrested, he lost his license to practice. Over the course of 10 years, Jack Kevorkian assisted over 100 people in ending their lives. Kevorkian kept trying to get in front of the U.S. Supreme Court to legalize this nationwide as being part of an individual's personal decision to be made with their doctor. Mm -hmm. In June of 1997, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the state laws banning assisted suicide was not unconstitutional, and it would be up to each individual state to determine their laws in the matter. Mm -hmm. Kevorkian argued that it absolutely was in violation of our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like, if I have a right to my life, I have a right to the entire thing. Which includes death. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to get more specific on that in a little bit. Side note, by this point, Oregon was the only state that had passed a Death with Dignity Act in 1997. But he's practicing in Michigan. So Kevorkian is arguing this. He's doing his procedures. He's getting charged with murder, taken to court, all this shit. But he just couldn't get yeah. to the point of making his argument in front of the highest court because he was told they needed to base it on a particularized case. And there wasn't one, so he decided to give them one. On November 22nd, 1998, 60 Minutes aired a video taken by Dr. Kevorkian two months prior. In this video was 52-year-old Thomas Yauk. He was in the final stages of Lou Gehrig's disease. This is an excerpt I got off of alstexas.org in case anyone is unfamiliar with Lou Gehrig's. As the disease progresses to its final stages, almost all voluntary muscles will become paralyzed. As the mouth and throat muscles become paralyzed, it becomes impossible to talk, eat, or drink normally. Eating and drinking is done via feeding tube. As the muscles that control breathing become weaker, it becomes harder to bring in enough oxygen for the body's needs. Respiratory failure is by far the most common cause of death for ALS patients, though some deaths result from malnutrition, mm. heart problems, or pneumonia. Unfortunately, there is currently no cure for ALS. All cases are eventually fatal. So mm. that's what this guy has. 
that's come to him that's in this video on 60 Minutes. So the video of Thomas Yelk is different than all of the other prior patients. Firstly, Dr. Kevorkian didn't have anyone else with him. He either always had his sister Margot or longtime assistant Neil Nickel at his side. This choice was supposedly intentional because he didn't think anyone would back his decision. And in interviews, Neil said that. He's like, nobody wanted him to fucking do it the way he was doing it. But it was all intentional. In the video, mm -hmm. Thomas gives his full informed consent for Dr. Kevorkian to administer an injection instead of he himself pushing the button of the suicide machine. Mm. Also, Shit. the actual event of the medication being administered and Thomas's death were videotaped. Kevorkian had never done this before either. The moment of actual death, the actual event was always private and personal. It wasn't, I mean, it's the most intimate moment in a person's life. They never recorded that part, but this mm -hmm. time he did. Following the procedure and Thomas Yauk's death, Jack Kevorkian called journalist and professor Jack Lessenberry to tell him he had performed a euthanasia and recorded it. He wanted to get it out to as much of the public as he possibly could. He wanted to ignite the national debate on assisted suicide and death with dignity and choice. And he goes, should I fucking call the local news? What should I do? And Lessonberry's like, you should put it on 60 Minutes if that's what you're trying to do. I don't think you should do that. You're gonna fucking go to prison. And he goes, okay, cool. I'll do an interview. I'll show you this video. And he goes in 60 Minutes. He wanted to get it out to as much of the public as he possibly could, and he did this intentionally. He always felt it was necessary for the cause to go to prison. So why did he do the syringe thing, though, instead of the machine? To go to prison? Yeah. Oh, okay. His intention was to get attention on this. It took a little time after the airing of the 60-minute segment for the prosecutor to charge him with anything, for him to be arrested. He calls up his buddy Jack Lessenberry, and he's frustrated as shit, and he goes, if he doesn't charge me with something, I'm going to do another one of these on his fucking front steps. Jeez. Everybody else is like, why do you want to fucking go to prison? He thought he would go to prison. There'd be a huge public response in his defense. He would get before the Supreme Court with his case and laws across the country would change to allow this type of self-decided end-of-life care. Mm -hmm. Kevorkian was arrested again, charged with second-degree murder and the delivery of a controlled substance. He was no longer legally able to be in possession of a controlled substance since his license to practice medicine was revoked in 1990. He let his attorney go. He didn't want Figer to represent him and get him acquitted, so he represented himself and was found guilty. Oh, Jack. Yeah. Dr. Kevorkian was sentenced on April 13th, 1999 to 10 to 25 years in the Michigan Department of Corrections. And he took his sentence with no regrets or anger. He later said no change happens without somebody going to prison. He had intentionally been convicted to be able to bring his cause before the Supreme Court, like I had said, as it had been spelled out to him. They were like, there needs to be a case so that it can go to the Supreme Court. So he's like, cool, I'm gonna start working on that when I'm in prison. He was completely denied the ability to do that and sat in prison for eight years, being denied every appeal until 2007. At 79, he won his parole because of his failing health. The care he needed to manage his hepatitis C wasn't accessible to him in prison, and really? he deteriorated pretty severely in his years there. He was deemed terminal and was released on June 1st, 2007. There were a few stipulations to his parole that he had to agree to. He was not to help any other patients die by suicide. He was not to talk about his particular procedure or any procedures he had performed in the past or provide care for any person 
over 62 or with disability. So he did a lot of speaking engagements at colleges across the country, talking about not only euthanasia, always done cautiously, but also the criminal justice system and had a huge focus on the Ninth Amendment. In fact, it was his biggest talking point when he then decided to run for Congress. Shit. Wait, what's the Ninth? What's the Ninth Amendment? The Ninth Amendment states... The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So it's a unique amendment in that it doesn't mention any specific rights, just that the Constitution cannot be interpreted to deny or disparage any rights of the American people. Okay, this is from annbergclassroom.org. Quote, because the rights protected by the Ninth Amendment are not specified, they are referred to as unenumerated. The Supreme Court has found that unenumerated rights include such important rights as the right to travel, the right to vote, the right to keep personal matters private, and to make important decisions about one's health care or body. Mm-hmm. All right? So people having power over their end-of-life care, i.e. their choice to die, is in violation of the Ninth Amendment, therefore unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And that became just one of many violations he talked about because the Ninth Amendment covers a lot more, obviously, and that became his mission moving forward, not just about end-of-life care, but in protecting people's rights in general. Mm -hmm. So he ran as an independent and used his own efforts and how he was blocked from getting his issue to the Supreme Court as his platform to break up the two-party system, to enact real specific changes and hold the laws to the Ninth Amendment. Mm-hmm. In the end, he got 2.6% of the vote. I mean, people, it, it's whenever anybody runs as an independent, a two-party system, you know what I mean? He didn't have the Nader effect. Like, they were concerned about his Democratic opponent still won. And after that, he just really focused on continuing to speak, was very vocal about his beliefs and his life's work. He was also an oil painter. Mm. Look up some of his work. It's wild and pretty amazing. It, it's macabre. And I mean, he was like a Renaissance man in some way. He wrote seven books. He invented a bunch of stuff. He wrote music. Music. He produced a movie. He hated the movie. He's like, I don't even want to talk about the fucking movie. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Are you looking up his work? Yeah. Isn't it cool? He's He was very good, yeah. talented, creative. Kevorkian was eventually diagnosed with liver cancer, possibly brought on by his hepatitis. He spent his last weeks in William Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak, Michigan, and died on June 3rd, 2011. Hmm. He was 83. Hmm. His tombstone reads, he sacrificed himself for everyone's rights. Fun fact that Gabe might like, just because of the ghostiness of it, paranormal investigator Zach Baggins from Ghost Adventures bought Kevorkian's old van where some of the assisted procedures happened. He put it in his haunted museum in Las Vegas. I don't know if that's like cool or if that's like, okay. I don't know what I think about that. His entire life, he never stopped speaking on his beliefs and really did help push the country forward in acceptance of death with dignity. As of today, in the U.S., physician-assisted death, as it's now called, is legal in Oregon, Washington, Montana, Vermont, California, Colorado, Washington, D.C., Hawaii, New Jersey, Maine, and New Mexico. Mm. There's stipulations in each state that often include some or all of the following— You must be an adult, be a resident of the state, be terminally ill and given a prognosis of six months or less to live, be able to make medical decisions for yourself based on a doctor's opinion, Mm -hmm. be able to 
request a prescription without outside prompting or influence and be able to self-administer the prescription. Now they do mostly oral medication. It's like prescription-based oral medication mm. for that. Recently, Vermont, like recently as in May of 2023, Vermont was the first state to amend their physician-assisted death law and took out the residency requirement. Oh, so it became like a people yeah would travel yeah because otherwise it's usually like you have to live there for six months or you have to live there for a year they're all a little bit different mm -hmm. every other state has a residency requirement well i mean that makes sense because it's like if it's six months you have left to live and you don't know about it and you find out you have like three months left or something you can't get a residency in a state under you know under six months usually mm -hmm. interesting yeah hmm. i'm surprised i didn't know more about that i didn't know anything about this i never really looked into it mm -hmm. so i didn't know about the person having to push the button and all that stuff yeah let's be done dun, 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 dun. anyway <laughs> next week <laughs> oh my god this is coming out on my birthday oh it's my birthday today july 4th July 4th, 1983, 40 years ago. Anyway. All right. Next week, we have season five, episode 23, Bound. While investigating a murder of an older woman, they kind of think that they have a serial killer on their hands who preys on elderly women. This is going to be a good episode, I bet. Have you seen Bound with Jennifer Tilly? It's a movie. Maybe. Oof. Is it kind of hot? It's iconically hot. With that one girl? Jennifer Tilly. No, but the other girl. Um, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Yes. Gina, Grish uh, Gina Grishon. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen it. Yeah, I've, se I've seen so it. Yeah. Gina Gershon, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rate and review us. Email us at svpod at gmail.com. If you want to send us stuff, I mean, especially for Tasha's birthday or just because you think I'm cute, hey. P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. Check out our Instagram at SVUPod and get pod merch and more at SVUPod.com. And join the Facebook group, SVUPod Elite Squad. We have our uh, chat group. It's called Walk and Talk, which is awesome. Get into it. There's a book club that started out of yeah. the walk and talk. So we didn't start it. Other people started it and we're excited about them having it. Yeah. If you want to find indie pods or you are a little indie pod, hashtag little bit loud so everybody can find you and you can find other podcasts too. Mm -hmm. And join the Patreon. We got tons and tons of fucking content and merch and all kinds of shit. That's right. And when we wrap up season five, the Patreon continues. So even during yeah. our break between seasons, the Patreon still gets content. Yeah. Is still going to get patroned. Yep. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. They're the, who's that guy that I like? Last of the Mohicans, Bill the Butcher, There Will Be Blood. Oh, uh, Javier Bardem? No, the famous guy that was like, you know. Benicio Del Toro? No. Um. Pierce Brosnan? Gangs of New York. Steve Buscemi? Are you fucking, oh my God, I'm like, why are you saying all these crazy fucking things? Um. Tom Hardy. Oh my God, fuck off. <laughs> these liberal SJWs on this podcast, one star. <laughs> fuck you, you're like. <laughs> Munch goes into Amy's hospital Dwight room. Dwight Yoakam. Kind of... It's Dwight Yoakam. Okay. <laughs> he was the stepdad in Sling Blade. Dwight Yoakam can do anything. He okay. can. 
Mm-hmm. And to our Elite Squad patrons, Sonia W., Marissa M., Elkie H., Annie G., Mary D., Andrew, Rebecca D., Miranda B., Shelby W., Lex, Emily T., Kayla W., Mallory G., Bonita R., Marin, Vanessa, Amy P., Melanie G., Courtney W., Ursula S., Kate H., Uyanga, Kayla J., Catherine M., Kate P., Jessica S., Acacia V., Katerina G., Danielle W., Kelsey D., Jana M., Joshua H., Tammy J., Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Mac Attack, Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Kaylin B, Camille Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, K Allen, Katie M, Eliza W, Crystal B, Jessica P, Zan and J, Nada M, Sam, Christina D, Madison H, Emily. Oh, the weather outside is weather. <laughs> Uh, that was a, that was a Hawaii that was a forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yep. Victoria okay. B, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree D, Drew B. Come through, Drew. <laughs> Is that stupid? It's stupid, right? Whatever, it's fine. Okay. Amberly C, Sapphire, Monica K, Katie S, Trisha S, Angela D, Brenna T, Andrea M, Natasha S, Andrea H, Miranda B, Al H, Nikki R, Sarah J, Caitlin S. Emily D and Lexi Y. We love you, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thanks, dude. So much. Wow, wow, Appreciate wow, you very all much. All of us together. All right. Bow, 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 doing stuff together. Do you know what that tune is that I was doing? It's um, Bop by Jojo Siwa. Get into it. Darla's like obsessed with it right now. Bop, bop, twist, twist. Check it out, my checklist. Groove, groove, mix it. Never heard of it. Right, left, all around. Why would you? Why? Why would you? 